Welcome. In the New Year's Eve of 2014, I had an experience which was the closest I could ever get to, I guess, the experience people have when they come out to their family. Now, I realize mine coming out was way easier than gay people coming out, but I had to come out to my parents, and particularly to my mother, a lifelong communist, having in mind that I was always a lifelong leftist, I had to come out as what they would call a neoliberal or a free market uh, zealot. So I remember how it happened. It was the first night I returned for the UK for Christmas uh, vacations. It was the New Year's Eve. We went out, we had dinner, we changed the year, and then we came back home at around one. And from one till three, I went on something probably like a lecture, a monologue. You know, these scenes in Atlas Rag where the guy stands up and starts giving a talk, like it sounds a bit cringe, but it was something like that. So I was saying, look, everything you know about the, the Greek crisis, Greece was in the middle of a huge financial crisis, is wrong. Unemployment is so high, but you know what? More states will not do it because here are the reasons why the Greek economy is so screwed up. So uh, we spend that much. Uh, we spend way more than uh, the state uh, actually produces. The state actually doesn't produce anything. The unemployment is so high. There's How are these people going to find job? You cannot take more money out of the productive economy. So with the kind of the newbie mind of the enthusiast, I think it was a great, very convincing, at least in my ears, lecture. So after I gave this basically little talk, I stared at my mother and she's like, Nikos, you've only been talking all this time about number, but what about people? And I was like, what are you talking about? I was obviously talking about people. And I noticed that this is something that quite often the leftists do. They say, well, you know, you people, we always talk about numbers and data, but what about people? Or they say, we are the ones who will put people above numbers. Usually what they mean with that is they will put their fantasies above reality. So, and I've seen that people have this avertness to data and quote numbers also in sports. Usually, when someone wants to say something which is not supported by reality, and you give them, let's say, a statistic which proves them wrong, for example, uh, Messi is not a good, uh, Ronaldo is a better scorer than Messi. Uh, but wait a minute, uh, here the numbers show, and they're like, oh, come on, the numbers is the easiest way to lie. It's like, no, the numbers is the easiest way to show to people what actual reality is. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to talk with numbers. Don't worry, it's it's going to be more interesting than it actually sounds, because I also always had this awareness for numbers. But here's the thing. Quite often, numbers and data tell us what is re literally ha really happening outside in the world. Numbers help us to destroy urban myths, lies, or stereotypes. Numbers help us clear our way through the BS towards what is the actual truth. So today we will use all the numbers, the data that are available to estimate, do we live in a world which is relatively freer than in the past or which is less free? Do we live in a neoliberal hegemony 
as the left has been telling us, that we live in times where capitalism is kind of unrestrained and having a field day? Or is capitalism actually at the retreat? So this will be today's mission. With me on this mission is the second Nikos of the Daily Objective. Actually, even more formal than Nikos, Nikolas. So from Nikolas and from Nikos, join us in this, uh, in this trip, join us in this journey. So what are our tools, Nikolas? Our tools are two very strong uh, data sets. The one is called the Freedom, the Human Freedom Index. It's produced by, uh, it's produced by the Cato Institute. And the other tool we have is the index in the Index of Economic Freedom, which is produced by the Heritage Institute. So the one is Cato together actually with the Fraser Institute, the other is the Heritage Foundation. So these are sets of data that give us information about things like, for example, rule of law, uh, freedom of expression, uh, size of government, how sound is the money of a country, freedom to trade, or the economic freedom index, mostly in terms of how free are you to do business and engage in economic activities in a country. So, Nicholas, we have both these sets of data. You've had a chance to have a look at them as well. So, do you want to kick us off with what is the big picture of freedom in the world? Are we in this neoliberal hegemony that so many in the left have made careers of, uh, of discovering? Well, definitely we're not in any kind of hegemony of capitalism or economic freedom. Uh, if you actually look at both sets of data, the one from the Fraser Institute and the Cato Institute, and the other one, the one from the Heritage Foundation and the Wall Street Journal, both of them show a, a fairly small number of countries which are ranked in the top level of economic freedom. Uh, and you, if you look at the each it, publication puts out its own map of different countries which are color-coded. Uh, the maps are really cool, so I encourage every all the viewers to check them out. Really, the number of countries in the top uh, well, they rank them a little bit differently. I think the, the map that's put up by the Fraser Institute and the Cato Institute, they use a kind of a quartile. Uh, they have sort of the top quarter and then the second quarter and the third quarter. But the, the, actually, the number of countries which rank really highly according to these different metrics, monetary, monetary policy, government intervention, very, very small. Uh, on, the, on the other hand, if you look at the countries which rank very low on the scale of freedom, they include pretty much most of Africa, uh, much of Asia, Russia, of course, so parts of Eurasia, a lot of South America. So the, the, the regions which rank as particularly free tend to be North America, so Canada, the United States, some of the Western European countries, and then isolated little pockets like Hong Kong and Singapore. So taking a global perspective, uh, freedom in the world doesn't look good. And it doesn't, and of course, they also have metrics in terms of whether the freedom of a country is going up or going down. And the general trend seems to be a downward trend, even among the top ranked countries. So no, the picture definitely doesn't look very positive. So let's put it this way. Only 13% of the human population lives in countries that you'd call them mostly free. Now, of course, there's a huge outlier, which is China and, and India. But also, this gives us a perspective that, compared to other people, we're quite lucky. We are in the minority, 
actually not me because Greece is in the <laughs> moderately uh, only moderately free but you are in the in the minority which lives in, in mostly free countries now what is important to notice is that this year's data reflect the period of covid so we would expect to see that there is more there is less freedom but here's the interesting thing there has been a downward trend with in terms of human freedom already from 2007 so in 2007 we have something like a peak so two, 2007 before the financial crisis freedom reaches something like a peak and then it goes down 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 and here's the interesting thing what will the people in the left say oh notice before the financial crisis you had the maximum freedom and this brought the crisis actually not because before 2000 if you look in the 80s and the 90s there you find more freedom than you find from 2000 till 2007 and here's the very the other very interesting thing what is the other story we've been hearing from the left this is the idea of the shock doctrine that was this book by naomi klein that became a bestseller that capitalism makes use of crisis to bring forward even more capitalism to bring forward even more even more ruthless neoliberalism whereas actually the data show the opposite even in countries like the countries of the anglo-saxon world supposedly the centers of neoliberalism we see there also a drop of freedom or the freedom being more or less at the same at the same level so if we take for example i'll take two examples united kingdom and united states if we take the united kingdom from 95 we see where does it start in 95 and i will finish in 2019 actually in 2020 because 2020 refers to the results before covid so supposedly we had the tories we had the we had two decades two and a half decades of neoliberalism you will see that economic freedom, the score of United Kingdom before COVID is 79, and in 95 is something like 78. So there's one point of difference. And of course, if we look at 2023, it has dropped to 69. So we have almost an eight-point drop from 95 to 2023. And if we look at the United States, we will see something similar. We see that in the 90s, it is somewhere, let's say, in 77. And then just before COVID, it's more or less at the same. So we had George Bush, the senior, George Bush, the younger. We had Clinton in between. Then we had Obama. Then we had Trump. And also between that, in all this period, we had times where the president and both the House and the Senate were at the hands of the so-called right and yet we see that not much has changed in how economically free the united states is so this is quite sobering this is quite it shows where we are day by day we think that there are like major developments in politics and this is going to change anything and then if you see nicolas not much has changed actually in how capitalistic and free our societies have been in the last three decades but it's also worth pointing out that the Economic Freedom Index has been widely criticized for, for, for methodological imperfections, for certain 
perceived inaccuracies of the data. So first of all, a lot of the criticisms from the left have to do with the fact that they see the economic freedom index as an index of relating to freedom of corporations and businesses from responsibilities to shareholders and to workers and so on. That, that of course, we can dismiss. But there does seem to be a lack of correlation between the economic freedom index and, for example, political freedom. So some countries like Singapore, for example, which is ranked as having a very high level of economic freedom, actually, in some respects, has a pretty low level of political freedom, you know, freedom of the press is restricted. There's censorship. You can be arrested for littering. I'm not actually sure that's necessarily a bad thing, but just uh, there are certain problems with personal freedom. And so th there are some problems with the, with the metrics. And in fact, the Economic Freedom Index has even been criticized by people on the more libertarian end of the spectrum. For example, I came across an interesting article by a Mises Institute scholar, um, Carlson. Was it? Anyway, he uh, who criticize, for example, the use of aggregate aggregate GDP data rather than per capita GDP. He also criticized certain aspects of, you know, the way it treated the so-called underground economy or the black market and certain other details. And when you actually compare the Heritage Foundation Wall Street Journal Index of Economic Freedom with the Cato Institute, Fraser Institute, Economic Freedom of the World, there's some interesting discrepancies. Uh, so so the, so for, for people to be able to understand easily, the first is the economic. The one by heritage is mostly economic freedom. This is where you see Singapore at number one. The yes. other is freedom, including, for example, freedom of expression and all that. That's right. That's right. And it's interesting that whereas in the Wall Street Journal Heritage Freedom Index, the Nordic company, the Nordic countries actually come out ranked very high. They're in the top 14, basically, Norway, Sweden, Denmark. Finlander in the top 14. In the other, the Cato and Fredo Fraser Institute ranking, with the exception of Denmark, which places fairly high, the other three Nordic countries are very, very low on the list. I actually find that a little more plausible. Uh, so first of all, a bit of anecdotal evidence. When I was in Athens, I talked to a lot of Norwegian objectivists, and I asked them, you know, what is the situation like in Norway, the economic situation? And they said, terrible. It's really bad. You know, crushing regulations, really, really high well, well, welfare state, a lot of income redistribution. But just from, from what I know about the Nordic countries from other sources, they have, of course, a massive welfare state, very powerful labor unions, which have the power, you know, they actually have government-backed power to dictate minimum wages and things like that. So I'd be very surprised if the Nordic countries actually did rank fairly high in, in terms of political freedom and economic freedom. Now, to put it into perspective, in economic freedom, we've got Denmark, Sweden, Finland, Norway. Actually, they're in consecutive from 9 till 12. In political freedom, they're not that far. So, for example, you find Denmark in, uh, in, in fourth position. and you So you find all these countries relatively high if you combine economic and political uh, freedom. So compare how they rank in only in terms of economic freedom, there might be differences, but the big, 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 big picture is, actually, here's how we could think about it. What explains these countries' prosperity? Let's put it simple. What explains it? Is it the strong state or is it the economic freedom? Now, it's difficult to compare, but we see that other countries that have a similar welfare state, let's say, with these countries, but less free economy, they're poorer than these countries. 
So here's how I understand this data. The, the Scandinavian model is not an example of social democracy working well. It's an example of a free economy working well, despite, despite the very, very strong state interventions. So this is how I would explain this data. Because let's take another example, a, an example which brings pain to my heart, Greece. Greece is an example. It started in some way similar, the experiment with uh, social democracy, like Sweden. Olof Palme in Sweden, Papa Andreou in Greece in the early 80s. And yet Greece, Greece economy is obviously, as everyone knows, a basket case, has been a basket case. Greece is the least economic free state in Europe with the exception of Russia and with the exception of Belarus. And here's why this is important. We have heard so many times ad nauseum there have been leftists in Greece and abroad that made a career by spreading the lie that the explanation behind the Greek crisis has been neoliberalism or capitalism. And we look at the data and we see that Greece, the most statist country in Europe, with the exception of Belarus and Russia, is the basket case of the European economy. And again, there is no mystery there. So most of the things that our theory tells us, the theory, let's say, of, the, of Austrian economics or the theory of free market economics, however you want to call it, where you say our, I mean the wider movement made some predictions. The one prediction is that the less freedom you have in your economy, the poorer the country will be. We see this checked. The data show that. And also it tells us that the richer the people will be, the more free, sorry, the freer the economy, the richer people will be. And we see this checked. And now, as you said, many people will say, well, these data are not correct. What I tell them is, okay, bring me a better data set. Bring me a better data set. It's the same argument that I have in football. People tell me, for example, well, advanced statistics can't tell you if Messi is good. I was like, okay, so what can tell us? Find me a better way to judge if Messi is a good player or in basketball. Uh, statistics doesn't show us if this player is good. Okay, come up with your own metric. But you will notice that they rarely ever do they come up with a metric. Usually just what they Thing. Because again, if you are unhinged from reality, you can say that uh, Greece is a neoliberal, uh, a neoliberal uh, experiment or whatever and get away with it. Also, before we go to our audience, a very interesting example, uh, sorry, and something else which is very interesting. Compare countries that we have a special interest for, for example, the United States and the UK. The United States, which is the country that gave, let's say, capitalism to the world, to put it, that made it a success story. It didn't give it to the world, made it a success story. United States, number 25 in economic freedom. Number 25 after eight years of Reagan, after four and eight, 12 years of Bush, senior and son, and after four years of Trump, 25th in the world. That's the one interesting data. Another interesting data I found. What do our libertarian friends tell us when we talk about Russia and Ukraine? They're telling us these are basically equally unfree countries. 
the, so you shouldn't say that doesn't make sense support the one or the other because they're equally unfree. And you say, okay, let's go and check this out. You can't find Ukraine anymore in the economic freedom index because of the of the war. But when you go to the general freedom index, you see that Ukraine is 30 positions freer, to put it this way, than Russia. So no, it's not great, but it's much, much better than Russia. So these are the things that I had to say about the economic freedom index and the world freedom index. So to sum up, the world is becoming less free and not only because of COVID. COVID accelerated this, but this was, this was a process that had started. This is in accordance with the, the prediction of the objective is that as culture becomes less and less hospitable to the ideas of liberty, we will see also that economic liberty will decline. People are not persuaded by the argument that, well, let's be economically free because we're going to be richer. And this doesn't only doesn't do the job. And also that the United States and England are embarrassingly from the, for their history low, particularly when it comes to economic freedom. But also in general freedom, so to, let's say England is, sorry, United Kingdom is 20 and the United States is 23. Whereas in economic freedom, not much better. Uh, the United States is 25 and the UK is somewhere there. I can't see it at the moment. Oh, 28. The UK has fallen, by the way, from mostly free to moderately free. The UK is only one category above Greece, as in is in the same category with countries like Vietnam, Kazakhstan, uh, Bahrain, and uh, you know, no offense to these countries, but you'd expect Albania, you'd expect that the UK would be one category above these countries when it comes to economic freedom. And that's according These were to my the observation. Foundation. That's according to the Heritage Foundation rating. Sorry, that's according to the Heritage Foundation index. And yes. So the, the, and then the numbers you're citing for political freedom—that's from the Cato Institute. Yes, it's on the it's on the Cato's Freedom Index of twenty of twenty two. Okay, that could be a little bit different than what I found from the Fraser Institute in Canada, because on the Fraser Institute annual report, actually the UK and United States ranked much higher than that. Uh, higher okay, than which course. year are you? Which year are you checking? It was the 2022 annual report, Fraser oh. Institute. It's called the Economic Freedom of the World annual report. Okay, and where does this show the UK? I, I remember the UK and the United States were in the top 10. No, no, no. I, I'm checking the heritage at the moment. I have it in front of me. UK is 2028. 20, no, no, no. I'm talking about the Fraser Institute. Oh, okay. So too many, too many indexes. That's, anyway, yeah, we'll we'll check out uh, check check it out again and I will read the I will read the super chats in between. So many thanks to Marilyn. Many thanks to Wes. Very generous contribution. Thank you very much, Wes. Many thanks to Jonathan Horning, a guy who clearly knows his numbers. Many thanks to Red. Marlon says my bank slogan is "People over profit." Yeah, this is always. Uh, this is also that's interesting. "People over profit" was a slogan by the left, and now it's also a slogan by your bank, which shows again that what moves a society is not economy. What moves a society is culture. 
We also have a message from Robert. Robert says, flip side, what's your explanation for the fact that we do still have a great deal more economic and political freedom than many other countries? That we do have the tradition of economic freedom, but also that we have uh, that these ideas in the UK and in the US, they're again, they're supposed to be part, let's say, of the national identity. But Again, this is not going to last long because we already see that there's a downward, uh, there's a downward. So if you see the data of every country, it shows whether they go up or down. For example, tax burden, government spending, fiscal health, trade freedom. Most of these things in the UK is, is going down, 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 down. And again, this goes beyond COVID. So yes, we are still among the lucky of the world, but the the tendency is we are losing. Philosophical zombie hunter, thank you very much with five pounds. The UK has the highest taxes in 70 years and a higher regulatory system than after leaving the EU. Economic growth is 5% for the last 15 years. And actually, philosophical zombie hunter, what a chance the UK had with Brexit to actually unleash its economy. They promised us the Singapore of Europe. Singapore is number one economic freedom in the world. And yet, as you say, lowest point in the last 70 years. Nicolas. Well, of course, another question is, when presented with the facts, when presented with statistics, how do leftists tend to response? Or tend to respond. One possible response is they simply dismiss the index altogether because they use different criteria. They use what we would say is more egalitarian criteria. They measure economic freedom in terms of lack of economic inequality, in terms of what they call access to certain things, access to education, access to healthcare, which of course involves government force, government control over various sectors of the economy. So, I mean, you've made the point in many of your videos that leftists are the flat earthers of economics. They simply don't look at the reality the same way that we do. Exactly. And I would accept someone, a leftist, to tell me I would rather live in that country rather than the other country. Perfectly fine. I would accept someone to say to me, this country is economically free and I don't like that. What I don't accept is to tell us that we live in a neoliberal hegemony, in a capitalist hegemony, when the data is clearly opposing them. It's like someone, I would accept someone telling me I don't like Messi. I don't like LeBron James. It's completely different from someone telling me Messi and LeBron James are not one in a million magnificent players because we have a mountain of data to support it. So again, data don't lie. Only if people misuse the data, then they can lie. Properly used data show us what is happening in reality. And the reality is that the world is becoming less and less, quote, neoliberal, less and less economically free, and not only because of COVID. Okay, so we have today, 9 p.m. UK time, HBTV with Harry Binswager. And the topic is artificial intelligence, AI. So the topic today is AI, what it is not. So Nicholas, I will see you at the end of this week in Ocon, am I right? That is correct. So Nicholas is having his Ocon debut. Wish him all the luck. Wish me also all the luck. I have my second Ocon presentation. 
it's not less uh, stressful than the than the first one. Actually, Nicholas, you are opening the program in gay in day two, if I'm if I'm right. Saturday morning, first thing Saturday morning. Saturday morning. So if this was a penalty shootout, you shoot the first penalty, which means you have the lights on you, but also after the first penalty, you score, then you can enjoy the rest of the conference. Last year I shot the last penalty in the last day. That's right. Today I'm somewhere in the middle. So enough with uh, soccer-inspired uh, Ocon inside jokes. I'm hopefully going to see most of you in Ocon. We'll see if we're going to be able to pull something off live from uh, Ocon. From the two Nikolaos of ARC UK, many thanks for watching and all the best. Thank you.